Welcome to Sea Time, everybody, the off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Okay, I'm going to blame it on Kurt Caselli. We've had some issues. He wasn't able to hear me. He made That may happen again. We have no idea. And if it does, we at least have some form of a backup plan. So to keep things short, Kurt Caselli on the phone with us because he's cute on video. How is your evening going? You having a good night? Yeah, it's good. Just uh, another Monday after the races. Got a bunch of stuff to clean up and... I leave tomorrow morning for Baja. Okay, you're leaving tomorrow for Baja, but you just got back from Dakar. You had the uh, Heron Hound this past weekend, round one. Obviously, tons of stuff going on. So please let us know. First off, you got the call to go to Dakar. You know how was that for you? It's something you've probably been following forever, but you know you got that call and you're like, I'm a kid in a candy store jumping upside down. How was that? Well, you know, Dakar's been uh, on my list of things to do and a career goal for a long time. Uh, I started watching Dakar a long time ago, and uh, you know it's just one of those races that uh, has so much hype and there's so much to it that I think unless you go and experience it, you don't really know fully what it's about. So I got the phone call two weeks before the race, and uh, my boss here, KTM USA, Anti Colonin, he asked, uh, you know, hey, do you want to go do Dakar? And I said, oh. yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, when? And um, he said, in two weeks. And I was like, oh. Uh, yeah, you don't mean yeah, 2014? <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, it was definitely last minute. I had two weeks to kind of prepare and throw some gear and clothes together. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing with KTM is they, they didn't have any expectations for me. They didn't put any pressure on me. It was purely, you know, unfortunately, Mark Homo was hurt, and they had a spot open, and, and uh, you know, they called and asked if I wanted to do it. Obviously, I had to say, yeah, I couldn't pass up that kind of opportunity. Um, you know, I hung up the phone with my boss, and, and I had a smile on my face, and then it kind of sunk in, and I was like, oh, crap, what I get myself into? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was awesome. I, I got to get over there uh, on the best team. I, I always told myself, you know, I, I want to do that race, but I don't want to do it unless it's... Uh, done right and and ktm's been so great with the baja effort they're doing everything right that way and so i feel i feel more comfortable um you know going to a big race like that uh with the best team the best bike uh a lot of good mechanics and and obviously mark coma was there to to help me out so so it was cool i mean it was a uh, one of those things that that i'll never forget it was a great memories um a lot of riding definitely a long race and uh, it, it was just cool. I, I mean, I made it to the finish line. I was happy I finished, but at the same time, I was a little frustrated with, with the mistakes I had, and, and so I want to go back. I mean, it, it motivated me to, uh, to definitely go race that race again and, and learn a lot more about navigating and just, uh, you know, hopefully one day be, be competitive and, and, you know, obviously hopefully win it, but, right. but that's going to take a long time. And, and so we'll see what happens, but uh, great experience, awesome, awesome time. I uh, can't thank KTM enough for the opportunity, and just, uh, man, I want to go back. <laughs> yeah, I 
Yeah, I'm not going to try to imagine that I, I would understand what that trip was like, but it sounds like you've had an amazing time. Uh, 31st overall for your first Dakar. I don't think that there's many people that can say that that's what they were expecting to get You know, the first time they did Dakar. Like you said, just going ahead and trying to finish in itself is, is quite a task. So best day while at Dakar. You know, what was the your... The good those days. And, and um, you know, the second... Uh, Second stage I won was stage 11, and I started, I think, in fifth and was able to catch up to the lead group. Uh, it was raining a lot that day, so there was a lot of, you know, unmarked dangers with, with rain ruts, and, and so, you know, the way that they, they set up this race is they go out six months in advance and, and lay out the course, and they have to make road maps, and so, you know, sometimes it, it changes if there's some, some weather or, you know, even the dunes change with the wind. And so there could be dangerous spots that aren't on your road book and you're not really, you know, ready for them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that day I caught up to the lead group and was riding with Cyril for a while. And, um, you know, it was good because I got to see kind of what the top guys do as far as uh, navigating and how they, you know, pick lines through the sand dunes. And and uh, we hit a two-track road, um, Cyril and I, and, and uh, I just I felt good. It was a, it was a really fun kind of weaving road with some jumps and stuff and you know I was able to get around him and, and pull away a little bit and I still had like I think 60 kilometers to go so I was nervous I mean I was in front <laughs> of Cyril I, I caught him I passed him and then all of a sudden I'm on my own and I got to try to navigate and find the waypoints and everything and and it worked out I mean I I found all the waypoints um I basically had to make a trail the first one out is always uh you know, it's it's kind of virgin. You're you're making a, the the route for the rest of the guys. So so I was able to stay ahead of him, find the waypoints, and and win that stage. And you know, I think that you know for me built a lot of confidence. I, I felt good knowing that um, my navigation was getting better. And and that's the biggest thing is uh, you know a lot of those guys are are great riders, but I think the biggest difference is is being able to ride up front, navigating, and being fast all at the same time. So. Right. Stage 11 was good. Um, you know, there was a lot of days with, with other stuff happening that I'll, I'll never forget. But, uh, you know, all in all, it was just an awesome experience. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, when it comes to, say, maybe like a traditional enduro format or something at the ISDE that you've done before, you know, there, you're, you're, it, it's not a who comes in first. It's, it's off the clock. And so when you were saying that you beat Cyril, was that like a you beat him? Uh, like absolutely outright first one, uh, you know, through the checkered flag, or does that just mean like overall time-wise from when someone left and someone came through that you uh, beat his time? Well, you know, with traditional, old-school traditional enduro, I'm used to uh, ICO, you have resets, right. you have um, tiebreakers, things like that, and you have to stay on your minute all day long. Um, this is a lot different. I mean, I mean, Dakar is more set up like an ISDE where you have uh, transfer sections, which they call liaison sections, where you just ride down the road and the time is really relaxed. You have plenty of time to get to the start of the special test. And uh, once you get to the start of the special, um, you, you line up in the order in which you finished the previous day. So uh, whoever won the day before starts first, starts the uh, stage first. And it's basically a hare and hound. I've told a lot of people it was surprising to me how how similar the terrain was and the riding was 
compared to a national hound hound and and also some Baja events and and best in the desert and you know those are the things I grew up doing so yeah. I felt really at home really comfortable riding those speeds and and the dirt roads and stuff and uh, the only difference was you're you're riding 200 300 miles before the start of the special test and then the special test is 150 200 300 sometimes 300 miles and then even after that you have another 50 or 100 miles of of more road section and it's a long day i mean you're on the bike for 8 10 12 hours a day and and uh you know in between that time the most important part is the is the stage is the special test and that's where you have to really push uh find all the you know waypoints obviously and and just not make mistakes with your road book uh, that thing can definitely um you know save your life or it could uh you know get you a little confused but uh but that's number one reading your road book staying on track and and just uh getting through each day kind of safe and and saving the bike yeah um so i guess we've a lot of americans have been paying attention more and more to some of the isde events especially this past year in germany with everybody doing great video coverage um how does that compare? Maybe on a day-to-day basis, you know, it's like those are obviously very, very long days. It sounds like you guys were having really, really long days at the car. Um, so maybe, you know, on that day-to-day basis, tell us how it's a little bit different. And then it sounds like the test sections in that sense of liaison versus, you know, the actual test, um, you know, how those how those two kind of differ. Well, with six days, it's a, it's a little more regimented. I mean, you know when you wake up, start time's usually always the same. Uh, the days are always you know, within an hour um, lengthwise of themselves, you know, seven, eight hours a day. Yeah. You know exactly where the special tests are. You've walked them. So you, you're a lot more familiar with what you're getting into at six days. And, um, I, I mean, six days is tough. That That's a lot more sprints and high heart rate type riding, uh, a lot more physical, a lot more technical. Where the, the Dakar, it's, um, you know, some mornings we were up at three, on the bike at four, other times you can wake up, um, sleeping in was waking up at five and getting on the bike at six. And, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of a different uh, kind of feel as far as sleep goes. But, um, you know, the special stages are completely unknown. They're, they're through the dunes, they're over dirt roads, just all different kinds of stuff. And so you have to be a little more cautious. You got to hold back a lot more, um, knowing that you have a 200 mile special test that you've never even seen before. You can't really go out um, aggressive and, and be hitting all the ditches wide open and wheeling over stuff. You have to really kind of, you know, be reserved and, and take care of the bike, take care of your body. But um, the heart rates are lower. Uh, physically, I felt fine. I didn't really, you know, get too tired or fatigued. I was, you know, mentally tired right. just from <laughs> reading the road all day and uh, not sleeping. But, but physically, I felt fine. And so... Uh, there's a, a kind of a, a difference there between ISDE and, and this race. And, you know, when I first showed up, I was all I could think about was I have 14 days. So that's <laughs> like two six days back to back. And, and every six days that I've been to, all I've wanted to do after that end of that six days is not look at a motorcycle and not even touch one. So I was worried, you know, when I first came into it that uh, I was going to get burned out and just... Um, you know, mentally fatigued and tired and kind of over it, but it goes by quick. You know, the the days are long, but I think that's what helps. It, it's kind of wake up, get on your bike, ride, 
as soon as you get off, you eat dinner and and uh, work on your road book and go straight to bed. So it's a uh, it's kind of a long, well, not kind of, it is a long, <laughs> yes. long version, and and it's fun. I mean, you get to meet a lot of people. You ride with different guys every day, and and so there's a lot of cool points to it. And I I mean. I enjoy it every day, whether it was a good day or a bad day. Yeah. Um, could you give us just a hair bit more of information on the road book? Uh, I'm pretty sure we could all make an assumption that obviously this is, you know, where your away points are at, where maybe these uh, the transfer sections are at, and kind of where you have to be for your checkpoints. But can you give us a little bit more of uh, just, you know, what you're studying exactly um, when you're looking through all that stuff, maybe at night and during the day? Yeah. You know, the road book, uh, like I've told everybody – that's asked it's basically a, a scroll piece of paper um, with written directions so if uh, you were to give your friends you know a play-by-play uh, each corner each dip everything uh, directions of a even a motocross track you can kind of a uh, you know start to see that that it when you break it down it, it turns into a lot of stuff right. you know you have every single corner every right-hander left-hander sweeping right and and this is where they they give you an actual heading or a cap, and that's your degree. Um, so you you know you could be headed at zero degrees, and if they tell you to turn to ninety degrees, you know you're going to be making a right hander, <laughs> and it's going to be basically a a ninety degree right hander, obviously. So each corner is is marked in your roadbook, um, and every danger is marked in there as well. So you really have to stay on track with your roadbook. You can't really cut corners and you know, if you see somebody off in the distance, don't just head towards them. You really have to focus on, on where you are because all the dangers are marked within that certain road. And so, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot to look at. You can go, you know, it's all kilometers. So I had that issue yeah. <laughs> too, trying to figure out kilometers and miles. Um, and, it, and it's a play-by-play. You could go you know, a few kilometers and have 10 or 15 different instructions on where to turn, uh, what, what to look out for as far as rocks or, or a fence that you have to go through or anything. So, um, it, it's, a it's a constant reading and writing and, uh, you have a, a thumb switch that you press on your handlebars that actually scrolls and turns the road book as you're reading it. Um, you know, if you read, Oh, and it's all depicted by mileage. So you have a mileage and then a picture of where you're going to turn right. uh, and something written out in some abbreviations with, you know, a downhill, dangerous, with rocks, anything like that. And so as soon as you read that and you're, you're going through that section, you have to scroll and, and read the next part of the roadbook. And so, you know, it gets to where you're you're constantly looking down and looking up and trying to navigate with where you're riding uh, watching the terrain, watching out for rocks, and also trying to read what's coming up ahead. And so, uh, I, I mean, it's tough. It, it's, a, it's a lot of work, and mentally you get really tired really quick because you, you're constantly processing everything and not just looking ahead and, and following the guy in front of you. Yeah, uh, good um, good question from the the chat room is, uh, is if can you scroll too far? Or, like, can you screw yourself over by, like, pre-scrolling, I guess? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you get ahead of yourself, and and sometimes it, it'll say, okay, there's a, a ditch coming up, and there might be three different ditches, and you're not sure which one the roadbook is really talking about. And I did it a bunch. I'd scroll ahead too far, and then all of a sudden I I'm kind of lost as to where I am, and I'm looking at my roadbook, and it's not making sense. 
and you have to pay attention with your your odometer which is calculating your mileage or kilometers right. and you have to really start focusing on recalibrating um, almost every time you go through a, a certain area or a certain corner and you know exactly what that mileage is in that corner you have to go to your trip and make sure it's it's on the same thing so uh, you know I'd scroll ahead and and obviously it's got a you know a backup button where you can scroll reverse right. and go back to where you uh, where you were but you know you can get ahead of yourself in your road book and and that's the biggest thing that that becomes dangerous is if you're not on the right page with your road book you could be going wide open across a desert and not know that there's a ditch coming up because you either scrolled past it in your road book or you haven't exactly got to it yet and so it, it takes time to really adjust the road book while you're riding to keep it updated to where you are physically um, with your mileage so it's a lot of work it, it it gets confusing the first few days I was all over the place uh, <laughs> adjusting my mileage and doing the road book and you know I, I literally had to sit down and go second gear and just look at what I was doing and then figure it out and then stand up and start riding again and I think a lot of people get in trouble trying to trying to figure out what they're doing and looking down so much and then you know obviously you hit a rock or you don't see a corner coming and uh it's hard you gotta take your time yeah uh it's definitely it sounds like a a route sheet for an old time keeping enduro on steroids uh you know what we what yeah. we used to set ico2s and stuff like that um okay i did see a comment uh earlier today about how much lighter your 450 felt this past weekend so you know give us give us a heads up i mean I, we've all seen those bikes we know that they look heavy as shit um and that it looks seems like you're wearing you know ridiculous amounts of of gear so tell us a little bit about you know that kind of the bike setup and and you know what you guys were wearing and stuff well rally bike is a is a 450 um in the past couple of years they limited it to uh, 450 only and um, that was just to create a, a level playing field for a lot more people to get involved with the car and, and involved with rally um, you know they had some issues with with guys getting injured and and obviously killed too on the bigger V twins you know <laughs> 950s and 700s and so they limited it to 450 and actually the motor that I used for the Heron Hounds is exactly the same as the motor that I used in Dakar hmm. so as far as power goes, I felt comfortable. It, it was nothing different. But um, the the rest of the rally bike's completely different. The frame's different. Uh, swing arm's different. Subframe is a gas tank. Uh, it's got two bigger gas tanks on the front, a big fairing in the front, and uh, it holds over nine gallons of gas. Um, the frame's heavier. The swing arm's heavier. The whole navigation, GPS, uh, it puts you right at around 380 to 390 pounds. So uh, when I got back on my Heron Hound bike, which is 250 pounds, <laughs> I felt like I was riding a mountain bike last yesterday yeah. in the race. And uh, it's tough. It's tough to adjust to that much of a difference. Um, you know, when I got on the rally bike, I felt a little squirrely, and and I adapted a little bit quicker. I think just because you have to go a lot slower. You can't really um, be aggressive on that bike at all. And and now that I went back to my, my Heron Hound bike, I feel like I'm riding a 125 and I'm pinned everywhere and the brakes work way too good. Like I'm going to go over the bars <laughs> if I slam on the brakes. So it was hard. Yesterday, I, uh, you know, I obviously I had a 
a tough race anyway, but uh, I didn't feel that great off the start. And, you know, towards the end of the race, I felt a lot better. But, uh, you know, I didn't get a finish. If anybody doesn't know, I, I had some uh, back brake issues. My brakes went out, so I dropped back quite a bit. And uh, we were able to change them in the pits. And I got going again, and, and um, you know, I saw a buddy of mine down in a, a pretty tough downhill rocky section and I stopped for him to see if he was okay and he told me he had a broken leg so you know immediately I knew I had to stop and, and help him and yeah and so my race was over but it wasn't an issue I mean he broke his leg and and I helped him up got him on my bike and rode him straight back to the pit so we can get him to the hospital so yesterday wasn't the greatest and and uh you know bad start to the year but at the same time it was um you know, something I think anybody would do in my situation. You don't just uh, pass up a down rider. And so, yeah, a lot went on yesterday. Right. Trying to ride a 125 through the desert and the, with no brakes. And then... it, it's it's good to hear, though, that you're not just uh, a fantastic rider, but you're also, you know, a sportsman. Um, I think that's what makes, uh, you know, our little industry so so unique in the fact that, you know, you've, you've been such a gracious, uh, let's see, I'd say gracious host, but I haven't really stayed at your house or on your couch or anything. But you've been such a good dude in the sense that you you know you take it easy. You you notice that I just like to have fun with it. You're a cool dude. I like the fact that you're a cool dude, and uh, you know we kind of play it up. But I you know that and you help down riders who have broken legs. I mean I think it says a lot about your character. Um, you know for that yeah. kind of stuff. So I, I feel like that's uh something anybody would do. You know this sport is it's dangerous and we all know it. And and to uh you know go into a race thinking that you know it's the last race you're ever going to do is ridiculous you just have to be you know open to whatever's going to happen is going to happen and and if obviously if somebody's hurt that's way more important than any race you're going to win or lose so you know I got plenty more races to do and and uh you know my buddy Brandon's still laying in the hospital so uh, I think it was important yeah. that uh, that we got him taken care yeah, of yeah no absolutely man well um okay like I said, I know that you've got you've got plans this evening. We don't mean to uh, take up a bunch of your time, so you've kind of talked a little bit about you know your your best times at the car. Um, what is it that's something that you'd want to tell people that literally maybe they don't have any idea what the car is? They know you race motorcycles, but the people. What was the one thing that you just want people to take away from the fact that you got to do that race? You got to you know live out one of your dreams. Actually, you've lived out quite a few of them now at this point. Um, so you know what are what's what have you kind of learned, or what's your what's your advice, Mr. Casale? Well, I, I think, um, you know, if you're a fan of off-road racing and, and a big fan like yourself... Um, <laughs> I might just be a big you, fan uh, of you. You don't know that. You, don't. <laughs> you really have to um, try to get down and, and see and be a part of Dakar, whether it's at the start or the finish or even halfway through. That was the most uh, amazing event I've ever been to I mean the spectators to the organization the mechanics just all the trucks that are racing uh, you see these big garbage trucks racing through the middle of the desert and <laughs> it's just nuts I mean there's so many people from different countries that are so involved and they love that that type of race and it, it's somewhere um, you know in South America it, it's a lot of dunes it's out in the middle of nowhere you're pretty much uh, just going through the desert wide open and it's awesome experience. I mean, I was blown away at, at how organized the uh, the event was. There's there's uh, 
3,000 people that are eating breakfast and dinner together every single day, and it's like a, a big moving circus that, that travels down through three different countries. And, and uh, you know, the racing isn't, isn't much different than, than what I'm used to riding as far as terrain goes, but, you know, we came into the, the rest day in Tucumán, and there was, um, they had told me the night before, yeah, there's going to be a million spectators. Right. That's... And I go, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, okay. okay, yeah. Uh, I can honestly say there was a million spectators for at least 20, 25 miles riding down the freeway before we even got into this town. There was people camped out on the side of the road cheering for us, and it was crazy. I mean, it just it shows you how big of an event it is, and and uh, you know they love that type of motorsports down there. They it's like Europe. They love any type of of racing or motorsports and. And it's a lot different than what we know here in the U.S., where you know dirt biking has always been kind of a you know ex- extreme sport, and and you can't ride down Main Street and have somebody wave and give you a thumbs up. Yeah, they're you know, going to tell you to stop burning gasoline. <laughs> so it, it was it was a cool experience. I mean, just uh, the logistics of it all, and and meeting all the new people, and and experiencing everything, and. You know, there's ups and downs. I hated waking up early, but at the same time, I was uh, I was riding through the Andes um, in minus five degree weather and freezing my butt off and staring at the sun that was rising. It was just a, uh, it was cool. I mean, it's something that I'll remember forever, and 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 I can never, you know, replace those kind of memories. And that and that's what I always look forward to in in traveling and racing different things is just just the kind of experience that you that you go through and that you take home and you know I, I didn't do as well as I wanted to I did good in a few stages it's kind of a up and down there but um you know the most important part was I I participated I had a great time I met a lot of people and and uh I'm gonna remember it forever so it was awesome sweet well, yeah, no, it sounds absolutely amazing. So I got a couple quick questions from the chat room. Um, one of them is that you're going to Baja this week. What are you doing? Are you testing? You're just goofing off? Uh, are you getting ready for the year with Baja? And another one was uh, somebody was asking uh, Zach Huberty about the air shock that's been showing up on Dungy's bike, and they wanted to know if you thought or if you knew that it might be showing up on any off-road machines shortly. Well, uh Good questions. Um, I'm headed to Baja tomorrow. We're we're starting our uh, initial setup for the year. Uh, we're going to do some suspension testing and and some other stuff. And uh, you know, like I said before, KTM is is really put a lot of effort towards Baja and doing things the right way. And we already have it in our schedule uh, every single week that we're going down to Baja for a test, all the way up to the Baja 1000 in November. And so it's planned out. I mean. Uh, we're doing it right. We're going down there. This is just an initial setup for a week. Uh, I'll be down there for another week and two weeks before the San Felipe 250. So right. uh, basically four weeks of pre-running and testing before the first race. And you know we're going to do the same for the Baja 500, four more weeks, and, and obviously a little bit more for the 1,000. So a lot of time to spend down there. Uh, we got a lot to, to test and to figure out. So yeah, next week will be good. Um, this week, I mean, will be good. Yeah. It'll be, uh, you know, good for all of us to get together and, and go over some stuff. And uh, with the air shock, um, well, I don't know how much I could say or what I could say, but uh, so yes, Dungy's <laughs> using it, and uh, no, it's uh, 
it's been around for a while. Uh, I know WP has been testing it for quite a bit. They've got some other stuff that they're testing that's uh, even better than that. So um, I think it's just a matter of time before it gets on the off-road models. Uh, I can't say when. I have no idea um, if we'll have the, the air shock or not. But, um, you know, Dungey's been so great for KTM. He's done so much testing. The guy works his butt off and, and uh you know, it's just cool to see that, that whatever they're doing is going to reflect on, on us as well and, and vice versa. You know, we've had, you know, off-road for KTM has been great. They've been so successful and, and to now see that they're successful in Supercross and Motocross, it just uh, it kind of fills the whole realm of, of um, you know, dirt biking and I feel like KTM's just taking over. So yeah, it's... I'm happy to be a part of it all and with the Airshock, I, that's just... Uh, one of a lot of things that that they have um coming out in the in the future so the r&d department is much deeper than just one little tiny air shock somewhere right yes yes it yes is. it is <laughs> that's what i like to hear i like it when things go deeper than you expect so what you guys are watching is seat time in case we have to say thank you very much to kurt caselli for being on you can find seat time at seattime.co is the website or on facebook at facebook.com slash uh seat time and then twitter uh twitter.com slash seat time underscore ceo so we change it up a little bit on you um but mr kurt caselli where can everybody find you what are your closing words for this fine monday evening and uh what kind of beer will you be drinking later <laughs> well uh just want to say thanks to uh, everybody that goes to the races that cheers me on yeah thank you um you know i i enjoy this sport and and that's why i do it i'm just a, a fan i'm passionate about motorcycle racing and uh you know i i want to race and and meet people and have a good time and travel i don't i don't count my wins and i don't put my trophies on the wall every time and uh you know i i just i love hearing other people's stories i love meeting other people and and that's the best thing for me so if anybody sees me, come say hi. Uh, usually very approachable, and, and I try not to uh, you know, be a rock star to anybody by any means. Uh, we race off-road, and we don't make that much money. Right. So <laughs> I, I, have no, I have no reason to, to have a big head and to walk around uh, you know, with, my, with my nose up. So, no, thanks to you, Brian, for, for having me on the show. Are you sure? Uh, Verb Off-Road has always been good to me. You know, it's a, it's a small community, and... and uh, I enjoy being a part of it, and I, I hope everybody else does too. So, uh, the beer tonight—I don't know—we're we're having pizza and beer and whatever they uh, put in front of me. Uh, limited, I should say. Yes, I will be drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bringing my my mom and my girlfriend along with me, so at least one of them can drive me home. Yeah, that's okay. I, I have a feeling at this point in time you are allowed to celebrate a little bit, so that's okay. Well, um, if you if you if you could try to go out there. Have fun tonight, you know. Be safe, but at the same time, remember to enjoy a pint full of awesome. That's what we're all about here at Sea Time. We can't say thank you enough to Mr. Kirk Caselli for being on the show. It's been a great time. We are going to have another full-on episode tomorrow night. This was just a quick teaser, I guess, if you will. Um, and so, yeah. So, you know, we'll see about it next time. We'll have fun. And thanks, chat room, for getting us some questions. Right, Kurt? Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for watching, if you're watching. Oh, they're watching. All five of them. <laughs> Later, Dirt. Peace. Yeah.